Good morning. Everybody doing okay? Good? All right. So if you're sitting in the back corners, you'll notice the big old uh, screens back there. We're last couple of weeks or the last month or so, we've been trying to finagle. We're not trying to make it look like Buffalo Wild Wings in here, I promise. We're, we're trying to figure out actually how to have less screens and less clutter and, and still make it to where it's personal. And you can see all the PowerPoints and unfortunately my face. You guys probably sit in the back corner so you don't have to look at my face. And now though, I can, I think it's this camera right here. I can look. You guys see it back there in the corners? You guys gonna be this quiet all morning? Like there's worse places you can be, right? All right, so... We are in, uh, we're in the Bible. That's a book that Christians read, hopefully. We're, we're in the Bible. We're in a book of the Bible called 1 Corinthians, um, which is a really, really interesting book of the Bible, very, very relevant for our time, written by a guy named Paul, not as a book, but as a letter to a church in southern Greece. There was a, a small church. All the churches in this time were small in the first century, um, somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 to 150 people. And what was going on in this church is these were people who had become Christians. They had professed that they were following Jesus. They had access to the word of God, which at the time was only the New Testament. They had access to good leadership, which was Paul, right? They were a prosperous people. They were a pretty free people, a lot like the church in the United States today. And the problem, much like ours today, are these Christians in Corinth in Southern Greece were relying less on the truth that they had been told about the word of God through Paul, and they were starting to rely more on culture. And because they were putting more of an emphasis on their culture than they were the word of God, there were all these problems that were bubbling up within the Christian community. That's why Paul wrote two letters to this church to help to correct these problems. If you weren't here last week, we finished up chapter 11, we did the second half of it, and what Paul starts talking about in the second half of chapter 11 and then gets into for three more chapters, 12, 13, and 14, are some problems that were happening in worship services. So like what we're doing right now, right? That there were two major problems that were creeping up. The first one we talked about last week, it was with communion. That when the church got together and they celebrated communion, the Lord's Supper, the body and bread, or I'm sorry, the body and blood of Jesus Christ, when they took this, they were being irreverent. They were being selfish. They weren't focused on honoring Jesus. They weren't focused on loving those around them. It was about them consuming. They were being selfish. And that was the first big problem that we talked about last weekend in worship services. The second problem that Paul's gonna spend quite a bit of time on, and we'll spend three weeks on it, is there was an abuse of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in worship services. So we're gonna talk about things today like prophecy and speaking in tongues and healing and miracles and overtly supernatural things. And it's, it's interesting when you talk to Christians about God, Jesus, they're good, you start bringing up the Holy Spirit, people are like, but that's one third of God, right? And it's mentioned a lot in the Bible, so we have to talk about it. And if you're a believer, you have the Spirit in you, so you should know what the function of that, what the gifts, fruit, why God has that in you, right? It's important. And that's why Paul begins this chapter we're gonna talk about today by saying, I don't want you to be unaware. I don't want you to be uneducated about the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. So what we're gonna talk about today is we're gonna ask the question, it's gonna end up on a, on a very positive note, right? This is kind of a more of an educational um, um, lesson today. We're gonna to ask ourselves, are you and I open to, and do we have a desire to be used by the Holy Spirit of God? Are we seeking this out? Are we digging deeper, right? Are we asking God to fill us? We'll talk about that today. With the Holy Spirit, and are we open to however the Spirit of God wants to use us, okay? So that's what we're gonna talk about. You should've got a notes handout. Has everything I'm gonna say in there. Um, all the notes will be on the 37 TVs around the room if you can't see it. If you can't see it, we have failed in a major way, right? They're everywhere. Uh, and also, if you have the Experience Community app, if you download the app and click on Sermon Notes, everything is right there for you. If you have uh, a Bible, right after the Book of Romans, you have Corinthians. We're gonna be in chapter 12, and it's gonna be a blast. You're gonna love it. You're gonna leave here filled up and excited and ready to just grab everyone and shake them until they love Jesus. It's gonna be good, okay? <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's pray. Father, Lord, we love you. God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to come in here this morning, Lord. 
Thank you, God, for a, a comfortable air-conditioned room. Lord, thank you for the freedom we have to come in here and, and not only worship freely, but God, to, to break open the Bible and study it freely, Lord. I pray that your word is a blessing to us today, God. I pray, Lord, that not just us, I pray that every church in our city is blessed. We pray for our other campuses and all the churches in those cities. God, we pray, Lord, that as we study your word, Lord, that we can be willing vessels, we can be open, we can be vulnerable, God, and that, that everything we do, that it honors you and brings us closer to you, Lord. We love you, we thank you, we praise you, we pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm gonna read a little bit. We'll go back and break it down. And um, hopefully you'll find this interesting today. Maybe you'll take some of the edge off about this conversation of spiritual gifts, okay? Paul says this. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you used to be enticed and led astray by mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says... Jesus is cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So I already said this. What Paul talked about in the last chapter was the problem with communion, right? That was the first issue. Now he is going to focus about the, on the misuse and the abuse and the chaos that was ensuing with gifts of the Holy Spirit in this kind of setting, okay? In a church setting. So Paul begins by educating the church on what the Spirit is, what it does, the different manifestations of the gifts of the Spirit. And the reason why this education is so important is any gifting, right? All good gifts come from God. Any gifting without knowledge, maturity, and discipline can be extremely destructive. There have been people throughout human history, right? Who God, God gives all gifts to all people that have been gifted the, 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 the gift of, of oration, right? To speak, wonderful speakers, charismatic leaders. And if maturity, discipline, knowledge, I'm speaking of biblical knowledge, is not a part of that, those people become dictators, do they not? They become manipulative. That's any of us though. God has given all of us gifts and unless we are biblically grounded with those gifts, we will use them in a way that can actually hurt and not help. So Paul says, I want you to be educated, right? I don't want you to be unaware. The other problem with, with, in this particular case, the gifts of the Holy Spirit we're gonna talk about is emotionalism can also take over. I come from a church that it was very, very heavy on the spiritual gifts and very little on doctrine. And the new, uh, the new Christians in Corinth, they had come out of Roman paganism. So worshiping the Greek gods, the Roman gods, which if you go back and study that, there is a lot of sensuality around the gods. There's a lot of, of decadence. There's a lot of emotion tied to the gods. And so whenever they became Christians and their emotions would start to well up, they didn't check those by the scripture and it got out of hand, right? So listen, here's the thing. Emotions are not bad. God gave you emotions. So when you come into this place and you feel joy, you feel happiness, maybe you feel sad and you need to repent for something or these feelings are not bad, but we always have to make sure that we balance our emotions with the word of God because the Bible says our emotions can be deceptive. Any of you in this room that have a couple of years under your belt, right? A couple of miles on the odometer, you know that if you follow your heart, it's gonna get you into some deep water. And we live in a culture nowadays that says, just follow your feelings. Doesn't matter what truth is. Doesn't matter what biology says. Doesn't matter what the word of God says. Just follow what you feel. And it has led us into absolute chaos because the Bible says our heart can lie to us. So as a Christian, if I feel a certain way, I then go to the word of God to make sure that that feeling is in alignment with God. And if it's not in alignment with God, there is something wrong with my feelings, not God. So I have to check that with the word of God or we will get extremely confused. And that's what was happening in this church. So bottom line, what that means is the spirit will never contradict the word of God. So verse three is basically saying that true spiritual giftings and experiences will always honor God and they will always align with the word of God. So Paul is also saying, that if we, we think we are witnessing miraculous signs, 
Miracles in the Bible were never superfluous. That means that they always had a point. Every miracle in that book pointed back to God in some way. So whenever you hear churches nowadays talk about these miraculous things that happen, right? Gold dust appears or rubies appear. It's funny, those churches where that happens, they're always asking for your money. If rubies are appearing, you shouldn't need anyone's money. But anyways, so whenever there are supposedly miraculous things that happen, we have to take that to the word of God and see if that falls in alignment with his word. Let me tell you why this is so important, okay? It's so important because the Bible says in the book of Revelation that one day a very charismatic man will show up somewhere on earth and he will do miraculous signs and deceive many. We will call that man the Antichrist. So here's the problem. When there's miraculous signs, when emotion is involved, if it is not checked by the word of God and hold into account by the word of God, there's a problem. It's either a charlatan or it's a, of another spirit besides the Holy Spirit. And we need to make sure that we're not duped by that. So the purpose of the Holy Spirit is this. The Holy Spirit is one third of the makeup of God. So God is Father, Son, Spirit, right? One God manifested in three persons and the Spirit is one of those persons. And the purpose of us possessing the Spirit is one, it is to build us up. It is also for the common good that God gives us his spirit for, for the common good of those around us, to bless those around us, to help those around us. The Holy Spirit also counsels us, strengthens us, and leads us, okay? So when Jesus, at the end of the book of Matthew, was ascending into heaven, that word by definition means rising and going away from, right? When Jesus was ascending into heaven, he looked down to his disciples and said, I'll be with you till the end of time. This probably didn't make a lot of sense to the disciples as they see him going into the clouds, correct? So what he meant is I'm not going to be with you in body. I will be with you in spirit. This is the Holy Spirit that you as a Christian possess. And when we are full of that, it produces the fruit of the spirit and it produces the gifts of the Holy Spirit that lead us, guide us, bless those around us and make our relationship with God stronger, okay? So let's get into these gifts. Now there are different gifts, but the same spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. There are different activities, but the, excuse me, but the same God produces each gift in each person. A manifestation of the spirit, look at this, is given to each person for the common good. To one is given a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge. To another, faith. To another, gifts of healing. To another, the performing of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the distinguishing between spirits to another different kinds of tongues and another the interpretation of tongues. One in the same spirit is active in all of these, this is important, distributing to each person as he wills, okay? So the first thing Paul says, the different gifts that the Holy Spirit gives, the different ministries and activities all came from the same source. They all come from the same source, and that is God. And because they all come from God, this is very, very important. God is the one that administers those as he sees fit. Now, this may not mean a lot to a lot of you out there. Uh, I'll put Kyle on the spot too. Kyle and I were both saved out of a very charismatic Pentecostal denomination. In the denomination we were, we were saved in and we, we came out of, right? they would tell you that you have to have the gift of speaking in tongues or you're not even saved. Now, one of the reasons why I left the church we got saved in was because when you take that statement and hold it up to the actual word of God, that statement does not hold water because God gives us different gifts as he sees fit, right? And we're gonna talk about all these gifts and he's gonna get into this a little bit more at the end of this chapter. But the gifts and ministries of the Spirit, they're mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. They're mentioned in Ephesians 4, and they're mentioned in Romans 12. 
And all of these giftings, they, they kind of they touch a little bit. They kind of bleed onto each other a little bit. We like, we, we like a tendency when we talk about this stuff to kind of put the things of God in a lane, right? Don't get out of this lane. But when it comes to the giftings he gives us, they kind of blend into each other a little bit. The point is not to, to, to just focus on this one. The, the point is to be used by God because it builds us up. It illuminates the gospel, right? And I'm gonna talk about this here in a second. We, we will work in and out of different gifts. So listen, all of this is not a new thing. When Paul wrote this, this had been going on for, for quite some time. So it was prophesied about in the Old Testament, about 700 years before the church was ever birthed, one of the prophets of the Old Testament, Joel, said there will come a time where God will pour out his spirit on all mankind, whoever wants it, right? We actually see the beginning of that in the book of Acts in chapter two. That's where the church is born. This is where a bunch of people were, were waiting in Jerusalem because Jesus told them to wait for the Holy Spirit. They waited. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is where we see the, the birth of the church and us experiencing the power of God in our lives. That's exactly what the church in Corinth was experiencing. They were being filled with the Holy Spirit and they were seeing the Holy Spirit manifest through these gifts, right, that I'm about to read you, in the church. The problem was this, and if any of you grew up in charismatic churches, I bet you can amen this. The problem was, is they were so enamored with the gifts that they forgot to learn about the giver of the gifts. And so what was happening is they were experiencing all the blessings of God, but they didn't have good doctrine, good theology. And here's what happens when it's all about the miraculous and not about theology. We grow arrogant and we grow chaotic and chaos is not a product of God. How do we know that? Because it says in the Bible that God is a God of order. So I'll go ahead and say, all the gifts of the Spirit that I'm about to tell you about, I believe in every single one of them. I have seen all of them be manifested in one way or another, but I do not believe in chaos. That is not of God. But that's what was happening in the church in Corinth, mainly around the gift of speaking in tongues. I know you guys have been dreading it, but we're gonna get to that here in a second, right? We're just gonna talk about the weird stuff. So here are the gifts of the Spirit mentioned in... Uh, Chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. The first one is the gift of wisdom. To my knowledge, this is the only gift of the, of the Spirit that the Bible says every single one of you will get if you ask for it. Not only that, it says he will give it to you in abundance. Okay, so this is important. This is the gift to be able to make choices and give leadership according to God's will. We also have the gift of knowledge. This is the gift to, to be able to comprehend and understand spiritual issues, spiritual situations, to have knowledge that God gives us. There is faith. I call this courageous faith. This isn't like saving faith. These are those weirdo Christians that you know that are like always positive, regardless of how bad things get, right? Everyone needs these people in your life. I'm not always one of these, but you need that weirdo that's like, you know, the house is on fire and they're like, it's cool, man. God's got it. And you're like... I like you, that's a gift, right? It's a gift. The ability to be able to inspire others regardless of how bad it may be. Uh, the gift of healing, this is miraculous healing. That you pray for someone that is sick or ill or hurt or suffering and God heals them. Uh, about, oh boy, it's been about four years now. I posted a picture of it. I don't post much on Facebook, but I was in Kakira, Uganda one time and I remember getting down and there was a Muslim woman that had not walked in three years. She did not want to talk to me or have anything to do with me, but I felt like God wanted me to go pray for her. I went through an interpreter, prayed for this woman whose legs were all decrepit and she hadn't, she hadn't been on them in three years. And she asked me, as I'm praying for her, of course, through an interpreter, she goes, can your God heal my legs? And I just went, yes. And then in my head, I went, God. <laughs> Come on. Anyways. So I prayed, I prayed for this woman's legs. She didn't close her eyes, she didn't look at me, she just was annoyed by me and nothing happened. And I got up and I walked around Kakira a little bit more talking to other widows and stuff like that and praying with them and just, hey, do you guys need anything? I'm walking down the main drag, which is a dirt road in Kakira, Uganda and down this, this little uh, ditch, this woman that I prayed for about 15 minutes ago is standing 
And she goes, hey, Mazunga, that means white guy. Hey, Mazunga. And then she goes and smiles at me and I pull out my camera and I got a picture. And then this Muslim woman who gave her life to Jesus Christ because Christ healed her, paraded me around town, right? And just, just, it's, it's, because I couldn't understand her, she was parading me around town telling everyone I was her husband. And, um, and then Jesus had healed her. So I was like, eh, whatever, you know? This is the gift, the gift of healing. Uh, the gift of miracles, which is to display signs and miracles, this is important, that give credibility to God and his word. That goes back to the miracles in the Bible. There is not one miracle in that Bible that was done for no reason, right? Everything has a purpose and it directs back to God. Prophecy, this is the ability to declare a message of God. This doesn't necessarily mean telling the future. Those were like the prophets of the Old Testament, but this can be someone that just has an ability from God to kind of see what's on the horizon a little bit. Hey, church, we need to prepare for this because I just feel like this is coming. This can also be someone that, that directs people to the word of God, prophecy. The gift of discernment, I feel like God gives this to, to a lot of us, uh, if not all of us. This is the ability to recognize that something is of God and in, in, in accordance with God's will or righteousness. The way I describe discernment is this is that gut feeling when you're a Christian and you're, you're in a situation or you're with someone or you're somewhere that you know you're not supposed to be and you feel that kind of pit in your stomach. That's God saying, you don't need to be here, right? This is not okay. It's that ability to discern. This is good. This is not good. And then the gift of speaking in tongues. The supernatural ability to speak in a foreign language, I'll talk about this here in a second, or in angelic language. I'll go ahead and let the cat out of the bag. And if you've been to a next class, you might've heard me say this. The day I gave my life to Christ, I laid on the floor and I spoke in tongues. And I needed something physically to happen to me because I didn't believe. And so God gave me that gift and we'll get to this later, but it's one of the lesser gifts, but we'll, we'll talk about that. The last one Paul says is the interpretation of tongues. So this is the ability that if someone speaks in tongues, that someone has the, the gift to be able to understand and communicate to other people what was said, either in a foreign tongue or an angelic tongue. Now, speaking in tongues is the one gift of the spirit that everyone gets really paranoid about or they abuse all day long or they get it really, really theologically out of line. So tongues and the interpretation of tongues, there are three different variations of that that the Bible teaches. The first one is in the book of Acts, Acts chapter two. When the church started, when a group of people were filled with the Holy Spirit, it says they poured out onto the street and they started proclaiming the news about Jesus Christ in different earthly foreign languages that represented people from all over the world. Why did God do that miracle? The reason why is there was different festivals taking place in Jerusalem. And you literally had people from every corner of the world passing by, hearing the news about Jesus spoken in their native language. So these people heard it and then they went back to their countries and they told other people about it, right? That's why that happened. It's the first example of speaking in tongues. The second one is, will, will be what we talk about next weekend in 1 Corinthians 13. This is angelic tongues, the tongues of angels, Paul says. Uh, you may have heard it as a prayer language. That's not a biblical term, but, but it's an okay term, right? That is a language that God gives you in prayer, in times when you're by yourself or, or whatever the case may be, where you're praying and you speak in tongues. The third way is when it is in a corporate setting. It is still an angelic tongue, but let's say for instance, we were in this room during worship and the room gets quiet and someone on this side of the room stands up, speaks in tongues, everyone in the room can hear it. The only way that that's appropriate is if God gives someone else in this room, right? The gift of interpreting that tongue. Hey, church, I believe God is telling us this. Now, this is something that I have not witnessed uh, very often, maybe four or five times in my life, right? And I've been a Christian for 20 something years. But this is the gift that most often is abused in church. And that was actually the case in Corinth. Okay, we got, we got through that. No snakes popped out of the walls. We're all okay, all right? Okay. The other kinds of gifts, I'm terrified of snakes, by the way, are the gifts of administration and the gifts of help. These are mentioned in Romans 12 and Ephesians 4. These are spiritual gifts like serving, teaching, Exhortation, that means those people that can like lift you up, right? They just have a gift of lifting you up. Generosity, 
uh, leading people, mercy, apostleship. That means starting churches. Obviously, Paul had this gift. Evangelism. These are the people that just have that gift to, to invite anyone to church, right? You go out to lunch with these people and you feel kind of awkward because they're just like, hey, waitress, have you been to church? And you're like, nah. You know, is it like those people that have that gifting. People who have the gifting of pastoring, leading people in a church setting. Here's where it gets a little complicated though. Every gift that people have, whether it's the ones listed here or, or other gifts, every good and perfect gift comes from God. It's in the book of James. So we have to be careful. Even though people may sometimes operate in these giftings, doesn't mean that they're always in alignment with God. Doesn't always mean that they're living the way that they should. Just to throw you a theological curveball, Caiaphas, who had Jesus crucified, had the gift of prophecy, the Bible says. That's fascinating. I don't know what that means theologically, but it appears to me that, that, that people can be gifted by God, but not use it to glorify God. And that hurts people, okay? So that's important. So not only do all of these gifts come from the same source, we may be used in different ways at different times. What we like to do, especially in America, right? We like to take tests and do all these things and, and kind of pigeonhole ourselves into one thing. I am not a big fan of, of really any kind of test to tell you anything about yourself, but I'm not a big fan of like, take a test online to see what your spiritual gifting is. I'm not a big fan of those. And if you've done that, I'm not trying to make fun of you. But if, if, if a tree has apples all over it, it doesn't have to take a test to tell you what kind of a tree it is. It knows because it is producing a certain kind of fruit, right? And so we should just be aware of, of how God is using us. I don't, I don't have to take an online test to see that God is using me in a particular way, but we're the kind of people we wanna know that we're a, a number eight, an ENFJ, a high I, a high D, you know, and I gotta stick in this thing. And that's not the way God works. We need to be a little bit more open-minded than that, okay? So when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit, it's not about just finding that one gift because God may use you in 10 different gifts through different times in your life. The point is not to find out what my one lane is. The point is to say, God, whatever lane you want me in at any time, I'm open, right? I'm vulnerable, I'm willing, even if it's weird and uncomfortable, wherever you want me to go, God, I will go in that direction, okay? That's the point with that. And you shouldn't be afraid of this. As long as we are knowledgeable about the gifts, as long as we are biblical about the gifts, you're gonna act appropriately. Just stick to the word of God and it will bless you. It'll bless people around you and it will be a blessing to your relationship with God because God gives us the gifts of the Holy Spirit for relational reasons, for spiritual reasons, and for just flat out practical reasons. If you're a parent, that gift of discernment is a good gift, right? The gift of wisdom is a good gift. So we have no reason to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. We just need to be grounded in the word of God when we are given such a powerful opportunity with God, okay? Everyone's good, no one's thoroughly freaked out? Good? People in the back corners, you're still freaked out. You can see my face. We're talking about speaking in tongues. All right, last part, bear with me. I'm gonna read a little bit and then I'll have to go back and break it down. For just as the body is one and has many parts and all the parts of the body, though many are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it's not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, that'd be weird, wouldn't it? Where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body we consider less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect. 
which our respectable parts do not need. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. Look at this. So if one member suffers, all the members will suffer with it. Let me pause right there real quick. Why do Christians salivate so much at documentaries and podcasts about churches falling apart? Would you watch a documentary about your brother or sister's life falling apart and tell others to watch it too? This bothers me because if a part of the church falls apart, it's the same, Paul is making the same rationale. It's like if you took a hammer and smashed your toe with it and you're like, hey, everyone see that? You should feel the pain of that because you're connected. So whenever a church falls, right? We should pray about that. It should sadden us. It should grieve us. We shouldn't sit around and eat popcorn and enjoy watching it fall apart. It's kind of sick and sadistic, isn't it? Just throwing it out there. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and an individual member of it. And God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, next miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, various kinds of tongues. He says, are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all do miracles? Do all have the gift of healing? Do all speak in other tongues? Do all interpret other tongues? But desire the greater gifts, and I will show you an even better way. So Paul makes it clear. I love this about the Bible. I love this about Christianity. Paul makes it clear. It doesn't matter your color, your race, your gender, your social or economic status. It doesn't even matter what kind of giftings or talents God has given you. We are all one body meant to work in unison because we all drink from the same fountain, which is God, right? So here's the thing. If you haven't heard anything I've said today, I think this is very important. We as Christians must work in unison because the church is the visible image of the invisible God until he comes back. Let that sink in for a second. You may be the most people see of Jesus ever, right? You are the visible image of the invisible God. We are, he is not here in body, we are. He is here in spirit in us. So how we live, how we act, how we communicate is vitally important. And so this analogy that every part of the body is important, this is very profound. That means that look, you may have different giftings than I have, and that's fine. This church may be bigger than some or it may be smaller than some, that's fine. We're not meant to compare ourselves to each other. We're meant to compare ourselves to the potential God has for us. It's not about you looking at your neighbor and being like, oh, well, why do they get all this and that? And why are they made this way? No, no, it's not about them, right? It's about what God has designed you to be. And if God has asked us to live at this level, are we living at that level? It doesn't matter that the person over there is somewhere else, right? Where am I supposed to be living? Because here's the thing, diversity not only honors God, diversity is necessary for more people to be reached. There are people that I'm very good talking to Jesus about. And there are people that I'm not very good talking to Jesus about, but you may be great at talking to Jesus with those people. So let's stop comparing ourselves to each other. Let's stop comparing ourselves to other churches and let's compare ourselves to the potential that God has placed in our life. And so in the church, what we have a tendency to do because we're human, let's just give ourselves a little bit of grace this morning, we're human. What we have a tendency to do is we have a tendency to honor those parts of the body that, that, are, that are more uh, presentable, right? What I mean by that is, is I'm up here, right? You, there's a thousand of you looking at one of me. And so there's a tendency for me to get a lot of credit for things that I didn't do, both good and bad, but that's another conversation. But oftentimes, like let's say after a worship night, I'll get a bunch of emails saying, Corey, thank you so much. And I will respond, I did nothing for that, nothing. Thank Kyle, thank his team, thank the hundreds of people that volunteered and did security and built the sets. I did nothing. But as, as, as human tendency, we have, we have a, a, a tendency to, to give honor to people who are more out front. 
And what Paul is saying is that we need to make sure that we, we notice those that are not often recognized. In our three churches, it takes somewhere in the neighborhood of like 2,000 volunteers a week to make our three churches run. So I appreciate you saying, thank you, Corey, but like, man, I do very little on the grand scheme of things. I write a lesson, I meet with my team throughout the week, but all of this can't happen, but for you guys and for all these people that volunteer and serve. So what Paul is saying is we need to have equal concern for everyone, whether they're up front on a stage or whether the one preparing your communion, that's a very important role. Those who work in, in the hospitality and on the prayer team and my God, bless the people in the children's department. Like, then we need to honor these people. That's what Paul is saying. Yeah, those of you with kids are like, ah, oh, yes. All right. Now in saying that though, Paul also does say that there are some vital roles. It's kind of like if you think of the organs in your body, right? There are some organs that if you don't have, if you don't have a heart, you're in, you're in deep trouble, right? Like your body is just not gonna function. There are other parts, other organs that you can actually have removed and still continue to live. And Paul says the roles of the, of the Holy Spirit are kind of similar. First, we have to have apostles. Those are the, the men that literally walked with Jesus, that knew him personally, that contributed to the New Testament. Um, second, he said we needed prophets, people like John the Baptist that kind of paved the way for Christ, the prophets of the Old Testament. And then he says, third, we just need people to teach the word. And then he goes down after that and he says, we need healing, we need tongues, we need administration, we need all those things, but we have to have these three things first. So there is a certain amount of emphasis put on certain roles. And then at the end of this, towards the end of it, Paul says something really, really interesting. He asks a series of rhetorical questions. And this is very, very important, especially for me, this was very important. When he asks these series of questions, he intends for them to say no to every single question, right? There's this negative response to everyone. The reason why this set of rhetorical questions was very important in my life, being saved in a denomination that says you have to speak in tongues. And then you go to this where Paul says, are all apostles? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all have the gift of healing? No. Do all speak in tongues? This was theologically problematic, was it not? And the whole point of Paul asking these rhetorical questions is just be open to what God wants to do in your life. He may give you this gift. He may give you that gift. But God gives them out different to different people because when you put it all together, it forms one healthy body. Not everyone should be gifted in this way. Not everyone should do this role. We need a diversity of giftings, a diversity of roles. And then Paul sets up what we're gonna talk about next weekend. Some believe the gifts of the Holy Spirit that I read earlier are listed in order from most important to least important. I don't know if that's the case. There's no, there's no proof for that. But we will know that some gifts are more important than others. He even says, you're all searching for tongues. You should be searching for prophecy and wisdom. And he says, there, there is kind of a hierarchy of some of the gifts. And we're to pursue the gifts of the Holy Spirit that bless others more than they bless us. We will also learn next, next week though, that all of this is grounded in a love of God and a love for other people. So the greatest gift or the greatest role that he's talking about is love, is that we have to pursue love first. Now, let me tell you why, because here's the thing. No amount of gifting, no amount of talent, no amount of knowledge can replace the necessity for love. You guys ever met those, those theologians, right? They have multiple PhDs. They can break down the Hebrew. They can break down the Greek. They know the history of every book that was written in the Bible. They know on and on and on. They haven't won one person to Jesus Christ. You can have all the knowledge. You can make me feel theologically stupid all day long. How many people have you baptized? Then shut up, right? Seriously, that's what it boils down to. You know what the church needs right now? We need practitioners. We need people talking about it less and just going and doing it, doing it. So all of the giftings, all of the talent, all of the knowledge in the world will never replace the necessity to love God and to love the people around you. Let me also tell you this, the pursuit of God and the pursuit of the Holy Spirit of God, right? 
has to be grounded in a desire to love God more. If we are coming to church just because we wanna figure out ourselves, if we're coming to church just you know, for, for any kind of selfish reason, we're coming for the wrong reason. The reason why we come in here is to know more about our creator. A byproduct of that is we do know more about ourselves. We are better, we become better people because of our proximity to Jesus. But we need to be on this Christian walk because we love God and because we have a desire to know more about God. This is why it blows my mind that more people don't read the word of God. Man, if I had a book this thick about my wife, I would study the heck out of that, right? But we have a book this thick and this detailed about our creator. Well, I don't know anything about God. Have you read the word of God? It tells you quite a bit about him, right? That it should be a desire to know more about him. And here's the thing. If we truly love God, we have to truly love other people. And the world right now speaks a lot about love, but it is this bastardized, twisted, perverted, distorted view of love. It's not biblical love. It is this very twisted view of love, right? Whenever people say, well, love is love. But if you can't define that word, that, that sentence makes no sense. What is love? And the only way we know that is through the word of God. The only way we know what true, unconditional biblical love is, is to be full this is important, to be full of the Spirit of God, to be overflowing with the Spirit of God. Now, let me challenge you for a second. I believe one can be saved without being full of the Holy Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit, right? Just like a cup that you fill up halfway with water. It receives water. We receive the Spirit when we give our life to Jesus. That's Ephesians 1.13. For those who have called on the name of Jesus have been sealed by the promised Holy Spirit, right? You're saved. But it should not be enough to just be saved. We should seek to be full of God's Spirit. Let me tell you why. Because every single one of us are glasses in this place, right? With water in us, the Holy Spirit. The problem is, is no glass stands alone. There is always a ripple effect to our lives. That means you have your spouse, your children. So let's say one glass is sitting on top of four glasses. And if we only get halfway up with that first glass, it doesn't run into the people we are touching. But if we are full of the Holy Spirit of God, it runs over and it starts to change your marriage and it starts to change your family, and it starts to change your friends. And then when they get filled up, they start changing the people around them. And before you know it, what started with one person that was full of God's spirit has now become this huge kingdom of God. This is important. But here's the thing. We cannot be filled with the spirit of God unless we remove the other clutter that is in our heart. Sin and disobedience have to be removed. Uh, I tell the same story about five times a year, but I really like it, so I'm gonna tell it again. In 1 Samuel chapter five, there's this wonderful story about the Ark of the Covenant and Dagon. Dagon was the Philistine God, the Philistine God. He was half fish, half man. Philistines were the guy that, you know, they had the one big tall guy. Um, they had got in a big fight, the, Phil the, the, the Philistines and the Israelites, the Jews. And in this particular fight, the Jews lost. And so it says that the Philistines got the Ark of the Covenant, the gold box that was kind of like the, the representation of the Spirit of God. They stole the Ark of the Covenant and the Philistines put it in their temple to Dagon, oddly enough, which would have been about the size of this room. The statue of Dagon, this is 17 feet. They, they, they say the statue is about 40 foot tall of Dagon. Big old statue, right? If you've ever been to uh, the Parthenon downtown, that statue, is that Athena? I think whatever, it was that big statue, similar to that. And so what they did is they put the Ark of the Covenant in the same room as Dagon. And the story goes that the next day they came in and the statue of Dagon had fallen down right in front of the Ark. All the Philistines were like, oh, that's, that's interesting. So they, they help him back up. By the way, if you worship a God, you have to help back up to his feet. It's probably not worth your time. So um, <laughs> they help their, God, <laughs> help their God back up to their feet, right? And they're like, Okay, Dagon, you're good. They come back in the next day and the statue of Dagon had fallen down again. This time its head and its hands had been severed. The moral of the story in 1 Samuel chapter five is the true God will not occupy the same space as another God. 
That means if we wanna be full of God's spirit, we have to get rid of the other gods in our life. We have to get rid of that sin. We have to get rid of that disobedience, right? It's the only way we can be full of the spirit. And God fills us up with his spirit for the common good. For your family, for your friends, for the community, that's why we are full of God's spirit. He gives us his spirit to guide us, to equip us. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the counselor. It counsels us and gives us peace. This is why it's important for us to walk intimately with the spirit, with God. He also, thank you, he also gives us various gifts of the spirit to edify the church, to lift up the church. Let me tell you a story real quick. I got a couple of minutes. I was interviewed on a radio station in New Zealand uh, three weeks ago or four weeks ago, something like that. I don't know how this happened, but someone from New Zealand uh, got a hold of the church. And they said, can we interview Corey? And, and they're like, I don't know, like a day and a half off of us. So that took some scheduling finagling, but we did a Zoom call. They recorded the audio and then they put it on this, this, this talk show on, in New Zealand. And um, so I'm sitting there over Zoom talking to this guy from New Zealand. It's a Christian radio show. And we get done with the interview part of it. And, and, and all of a sudden, this, this guy from New Zealand, really nice guy, looks at me and, he, and you can tell he's very uncomfortable. And I'm like, everything okay? And he goes, you know, pa I'm not gonna try to do his voice. He goes, pastor, um, I gotta tell you something. God just gave me a word of knowledge for you. And, and I'm just, I'm going out on a limb and I'm very uncomfortable, but can I tell it to you? And I said, well, sure. I believe in all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Yes, I, I'm, I need all the knowledge I can get. And he says, I don't know what this means and I don't know why God told me, but God told me that you're gonna be given the land by the bridge. And then he's sitting there and, and he goes, does that mean anything to you? And I started smiling and I said, you know, it's crazy. In a couple of weeks, I have a meeting with a guy who owns a piece of land by the bridge behind our building that wants to give it to us for parking. So, so I tell this guy literally from the other side of the world this, and man, he just starts bawling. I mean, he's just crying. And here's what's interesting. He didn't tell me anything that I didn't already know, but what he did is he confirmed in me. God used a man from the other side of the world to say, Corey, you're gonna be okay. I got you, right? And so, but listen, that, that gift of the spirit that he received in that moment edified the church and not even a church he will ever go to. It edified the church. It encouraged someone else from the other side of the country. I hope it encouraged you a little bit this morning. But it builds the, the, the gifts of the Spirit. They, they edify the church. They build our personal relationship with Jesus. And it gives us the ability to spread the gospel. So I want to ask you in this room, are you and I vulnerable, open, available to be used by God however he sees fit? Have we positioned ourselves in such a way, right? That we are praying to God, right? That we're reading the word of God. We're seeking him. The Bible says seeking his face, right? Seeking his will. Have we positioned ourselves where we're like, God, it doesn't matter how uncomfortable or, or awkward or whatever, I will go down whatever road you want me to go down. That may mean, I'm just gonna throw it out there. That may mean you're praying one day in your home and you may speak in a language that you don't understand. That may mean that you're sitting in the office and God says, I need you to get up and say, say this to that person. It's uncomfortable. But man, they may need to hear it. And you know, let me tell you, even if you're wrong in those moments, most people just really appreciate the fact that you care about them. But God may get you out of your comfort zones. Are we the kind of people who are like, whatever you wanna do, God, whatever you wanna do. Are we praying for wisdom? Are we praying for discernment? We praying for whatever God wants to do in our life. Or let me ask you this, are we stuck in our natural abilities? Now, let me say this. I think you can go to heaven and not, not dive deep into the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I, I wanna be careful with that, right? But my thing is, why would you wanna live that kind of existence? Why, why, when God has all of these weapons at your disposal, all these tools at your disposal, why would you not build the deepest relationship with him possible? Why would we not exercise these supernatural things that God has in our life to advance his kingdom and to bless those around us? Why would we not do this? 
Because let me tell you, left to my own natural self, what is natural to me, I'm very limited in what I'm gonna do in this life. I'm very limited in what kind of a dad I can be, what kind of a pastor I can be, what kind of a husband I can be. I'm limited in my relationship with God. When it comes to my natural abilities. But here's the thing. If the spirit of God is in you, you're not just a natural being. You're connected to a supernatural being. And we can live in a way that is beyond just what we can do, just what we're capable of. We can live beyond what is just natural. There's no reason that I should be a good husband. I, I, I wasn't raised with that example in my life. But it's by the supernatural power of God that we can be who we need to be and live in a way that we're supposed to live. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Hey, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I, I, I hope today was helpful. I hope that maybe it took off some of the edge if you've ever discussed these things or been intimidated by these things or freaked out by these things. I hope that it has somehow kind of, kind of shaved that edge off. Because listen, we don't need to be afraid of the spirit working in our life. We just need to be biblically educated on it. That's what Paul says. So if you are in this room and maybe you are not a believer or maybe you're a new believer and you just got questions, up here on my right, your left, Pastor Savut is up here, does our, our college and career ministry. If you have any questions for Pastor Savut, would you please just come up and talk to him? Please. If you are in this room and you need prayer for anything in your life, anything, there are men and women on both sides of the stage. It doesn't matter what it is. It can be health, it can be family issues, it can be insecurities, it can be finances, it doesn't matter. Let someone pray with you. And then the last thing is there's communion all the way around this room. Wherever you see a lamp on a table, there's bread and wine that represents the body and blood of Jesus. Everyone who has asked God to forgive them of your sins, of your sins, you can take that. Hey, listen, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, if not during communion sometime this week, I'm gonna give you some homework. I wanna challenge you. Find a time to get alone with God and talk out loud to him and say, God, I'm open, I'm available. Use me however you wanna use me. And don't be afraid of it. Let God speak to you. Let God lead you. I promise you, you won't regret that. Just be open and available, okay? Father, Lord, I love you. God, I thank you. God, I love this church. Keep your hand on us, Lord. Fill us with your spirit. Lead us by your spirit, God. Let us dive deeper, God, into who you are and let us love others more. God, keep everyone safe until we meet again. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We pray all these things, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Hope you have a good day. You're welcome to help yourself.